0: You know, it's amazing how God works and just the marvelous things whether it be, you know, through this disability ministry um, and then even my message today as we sit down and kind of decide where we're going uh, through the year with our scripture. This series that we're looking at this week uh, and the next couple months is entitled One Thing. And uh, today, if you have your Bible, go ahead and and open up to the book of John, chapter 9, because we're going to discover one thing, but it deals with disabilities. I mean, that's what this chapter is all about and how, how appropriate that it kind of is working together for us today. Disabilities, they come in all shapes and sizes. Each one of us has something unique about us that, that may appear as a weakness to other people, but, but the greatest disability is when we are not able to see ourselves for who we are and we're unable to recognize God for who he is. That is a disability that our world and they're all struggling with. Growing up in Beaufort, I wasn't coming across many people who had disabilities. Uh, there were a few, there were little differences here and there. But before I moved out here uh, with our family in 72, lived in the city of St. Louis. And one of my neighborhood uh, friends, Larry, um, He was hit by a a milk truck from Union, Missouri, of all places. And um, as a result of that, he had severe brain damage and physical disabilities uh, because of that. It it was amazing to me because I could go across that street to the tomboy market and know exactly right here's where Larry got hit. And every time I saw that, it it brought that into mind. Because one day Larry's playing with me and the next day he's basically an invalid. As a result of that, disabilities come, and, and I'm never going to forget Larry. Um, his, his disability has remained fresh in my mind for over 50 years. And uh, when you think about that, it's amazing that, that some individual that I've really not had any contact with, but I still remember his name, I still remember the house he lived in, I still remember all different kinds of things because that moment in time not only changed his life, but it did mine as well. So when we moved out here, it it wasn't common for us to see people that were like Larry. But after I graduated, I went back into St. Louis for college, and we lived on the Metro East side for for quite a few years, and I came across more and more people who had disabilities. I I guess you can say that the older I get, the more I notice those things in people, the little differences, the little uh, slight idiosyncrasies that we're all different. None of us are the same and each one of us has what others might consider a disability because maybe we're not like one another. Differences often catch our attention. But how do we react to those people? Do we do we overlook them and just ignore them? Do we stare at them out of curiosity? Do we feel a tinge of pity for them? Or, or do we wonder what caused their disability? Or do we go out of our way to be loving and caring and welcoming? Sadly, in many cultures around the world, there's this widespread belief that disability is the consequence of sin. And the only reason you're disabled is because either you've sinned or your parents have sinned, and so therefore it's a curse on the family and, 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 or on the individual. But unfortunately, many go so far as to, to think that those disability those with disabilities, they aren't really even people. I spent some time in Ukraine back in 2006, and uh, working in a hospital, trying to start a ministry there uh, with a doctor friend of mine, and... The people who would come in to have knee and hip replacements, um, it was an amazing thing for them. Before that happened, they were disabled people, and because they were disabled people, the communistic party allowed them to die. They would not feed them. we would not let them do things. Just put them off someplace because you cannot be productive for the community. Therefore, you're not going to drain the community of its resources. And John chapter 9... I believe it will help us to open our eyes to see things from a different perspective and really kind of help us understand a little bit what the heart of God is towards those people who are struggling with disabilities. And in the process, I think it will assist us in developing a better understanding where we stand before him. It begins in John chapter 9 with this strange question. Verses 1 and 2. As he passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And as disciples asked him, Rabbi who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now, that's a strange question, I think, for two reasons. For the, the first one is, it, as if the disciples had assumed that this, marriage, that this man's parents had committed a sin, that, that they had deserved a child who would be disabled as a result of what they had done, they failed to realize that, that the Word of God, under no certain terms, specifies that we all have sinned and in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 it says surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Therefore, every one of us ought to be disabled because our parents have sinned. There was no way, secondly, for a baby that's in the womb to do anything that would classify itself as a sin. So how could... He have sinned before he was born to be born blind. It's a strange question we think about. In both scenarios, it's completely unreasonable. Yet sadly, that was the prevailing understanding of that day. When Moses experienced his encounter with God there on, on the mountain with the burning bush, and he was called by God to go back to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, Moses tried to make up excuses. He says, that even when I was in Egypt, I had a speech problem. I, I couldn't talk. And, and my, my tongue and my mouth, the words just weren't, weren't coming out properly. And God just basically tells him, listen to what he says in the Exodus 4, 11 and 12. The Lord said to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. So the message of God to Moses was that there was no excuse for him, because God was the creator of all things, and he would enable him to do whatever was necessary. A lot of times we like making up excuses why we can't do things because of maybe a disability we have. But God doesn't say that. He says, you have abilities and I'll be with you, and I will, I will put those words in your mouth, or I will give you the strength to do what you need to do, Samson. Then we have this unexpected answer that comes from Jesus here in chapter 9. It's a really weird question, and then Jesus gives this answer. Let's look there at verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I mean, mean, Jesus couldn't make it any clearer. What he basically says, this man did not sin. His parents did not sin. It's not a result of because of sin. The reason this fellow was blind from birth is so that today you might see the power of God in his life and in this healing I and mean, that's a uniqueness and so i look at my friends who have disabilities and i think you are displaying the power of god and it's amazing it's amazing what what our world can do when they realize they're not disabled but they have abilities The situation in which this man found himself in wasn't the result of his sins or even his parents, but the reason he was blind was so that the moment might come so that God could manifest his mighty power through him and therefore bring glory to God because of this man's sight. And if there are any who are struggling to accept their own disability or those of their children, the word of God comes to assure us that God is in perfect control and he can do the impossible even through those of us who have disabilities. Matter of fact, I'm one of those people who has a disability. When I was born, I did not have cartilage in my legs. And so for quite a few few years as a child, I wore braces on my legs. And they were going to fuse my knees together so I could at least walk, but they didn't think I'd ever run. And as my parents began taking me to doctors throughout St. Louis, finally... As they're determining to do the fusing, all of a sudden cartilage begins to grow. And here I stand today. This was a unique miracle. And in John chapter 9, it's a miracle that has never taken place before. Let's look at this in verse 6 and 7. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, that is Jesus, and he made mud with his saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. I mean, what an amazing miracle. I mean, nothing like this had ever happened that the world had ever recorded that a man who had been born blind, who had lived his life blind for years, and all of a sudden some guy walks up, puts blood in his, puts mud in his eyes and tells him to wash it out, and all of a sudden he starts seeing. How does that happen? Jesus was always creative in the way that he performed his miracles, in the way he would heal people. And this situation was definitely unique. And after Jesus spit on the ground and made the mud, and he rubbed it in that man's eyes, and he washed, now all of a sudden the guy can see? And it wasn't until the man was obedient that the restoration of his sight, actually it wasn't restoration because he didn't have to restore it because he had no sight. But the giving of his sight came when the man went in his blindness and found the pool of Siloam. And when he went there and he washed his eyes, and he began to see. The United Press International, back in March 6 of 1981, has an article I really want to read to you. This was powerful as I began reading it. It's about a man by the name of Bob Edens. This is what it says. It says, To Bob Edens, yellow is amazing, but red is the best, although he hasn't seen anything yet that he didn't like. Bob Edens lived 51 years without seeing anything at all until a complicated surgery gave him eyesight, and he found it overwhelming. This is what he said. I never would have dreamed that yellow was so so yellow. I I don't have the words. I'm amazed at yellow. But red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red, said Edens, who said that the first thing he ever saw was an eyedropper in the hands of a nurse. Grass is something I had to get used to, he said. I always thought it was just fuzz. But to each individual green stalk, and to see the hair on my arm and growing trees and and birds flying through the air and everything, it's like starting a whole new life. It's the most amazing thing in the world to see things you never thought you'd see. I saw purple and orange recently in the face of a tiger. I could see the individual hairs in the colors of his eyes. I can see the shape of the moon, and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving a vapor trail. And of course, the sun rises, the sun sets. I can't wait to get up each day to see what I can see. I'm still seeing most of it for the first time. And at night, I look at the stars in the sky, flashing lights, and I'm learning to read and write like a first grader, Everything is like a constant high. You can never know how wonderful everything is. Now, he'd been blind since birth. And he graduated from Furman University. He learned Braille. He got married and he had a daughter. And he even coached in his blindness little league baseball team while he was also working as a masseur. Fifteen weeks ago, that would have been November eighteenth, 1980, he underwent surgery for detached retina and a corneal transplant. His sight had been gradually returning since the day after November 18th operation. Edens, who said that every South Carolina governor since 1953 had come to him for a massage, is opening a private massage clinic. But he would rather talk about what he can see than what he can do. I saw some bees the other day Confined in Edens, almost as if he were telling a secret. And they were magnificent. And I jumped a covey of quail. I'd heard quail before, but to see them flying, ah, what an experience. I saw a truck drive by in the rain the other day and throw up a spray of water into the air. It was marvelous. And did I mention, he said, genuine rapture in his voice. I saw a falling leaf. Just drifting through the air. Oh my goodness. Just to have Jesus touch your eyes. (coughs) To give you the ability to see things that you have never seen before. And it's amazing. It's an amazing world. You've seen people today, they get these chromicrome glasses that they, they put on and though they have been colorblind... Now all of a sudden with these glasses they can see the different shades of color and it brings tears because they never realized how beautiful and colorful this world is. But like everything, even in the book of John, there's this mixed reaction to this miracle and this man being able to see. So we discover here in verses 28 through, or verses 8 through 24 that all these different responses. I'm going to look at just a few of them really quick. There's the skeptics. Well, some people recognized him as the man who was healed, there were others who questioned his identity. He's not really the guy that was blind, is he? He even had to prove his own identity and somehow explain it. But instead of celebrating him with him, there were others who wanted to argue with him. I mean, isn't it odd that we live in a world that focuses and functions on trust for most things in life? Yet when it comes to matters pertaining to God, there's always skepticism. Think about the different systems that we trust in. We trust health care. We trust transportation. The financial institutions. Communication. Education. And the list goes on and on. We put our trust in all these different things that they're going to take us and move us forward. But yet we struggle to put our trust and our faith and God. And yet God's wonders are manifested all around us every single day. Even out here in a park. We can see the beauty and the creation of God and who He is. We ought to put our trust in Him without any doubt. Then there were the legalists. They were the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Scribes, and, and they had a they had a problem with this man who who was healed. It just so happened the day on which he was healed was the Sabbath. I guess healing somebody is a sin on the Sabbath, I don't know, but performing miracles obviously from their perspective was, you should not have done that. That's work, Jesus. So over the years, the rabbis and the scribes, what they had done is they had worked on making sure that people were obedient to the commands of God. And they put together numerous man-made rules and regulations that had to be obeyed on the Sabbath. I don't know if I ever saw one that said you can't perform a miracle on the Sabbath, but surely that day they created it. Healing on the Sabbath. So now the authority of Jesus was in question. In another situation concerning his disciples, they were going through a field plucking heads off the wheat and eating it as they went, and the Pharisees had just a heyday over that because they were working. They were were gathering their, their food, and they shouldn't have done that. But Jesus said to them back then, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. So we understand that God desires that everything that we do be driven from the love that we have for Him. And no wonder that Jesus summed up all the entire law and two commandments, love God and love others. The Pharisees, I believe, were blinded by legalism by their traditions, by their laws. They couldn't even celebrate with this man over this miraculous healing that had taken place in his life. They questioned Jesus' authority, and they declared him to be a sinner as well. And they assumed that Jesus was breaking the law when the truth was, as he declared in Matthew chapter 5, he said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to, to, abol- not to abolish it, but to fulfill them. The truth is Jesus is the only one able to fulfill all the laws and therefore he is the only one who has the ability to go to the cross and sacrifice his life to redeem us. The legalisms of the Pharisees, they made them doubt this miracle worker and they were criticizing the healing. And all this man wanted to do was celebrate the fact that no longer was he disabled. He could now see. And all of this is a caution to those who value traditions of men over the commandments of God. Those who've missed the aspect of love behind the law, they're they're still bound by the legalistic righteousness they try to achieve, and they never will. When traditions blind us, we can easily miss out on the truth and literally blindly wander in the dark. Then there were the people who were kind of simple-minded that were there. We read about this group and in verse 16. It says, others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And then there was division among them. So they realized Jesus, there's no way if he was a sinful man that God would listen to him and God would have brought a healing or a miracle through him because he's a sinner. So how can you say Jesus is a sinful man when God obviously worked in him because this is something that's never been done before. And even today, there are those who are willing to accept Jesus as Lord, but they don't want to put their trust into him with all authority. And they've experienced him as their healer and savior and are content to accept him in their own simple way. (coughs) Then there were those who were the fearful. Now, as the story goes on here in chapter 9, all of a sudden, we're, we're introduced to the parents of the man. So the Pharisees, they're not satisfied with the answer they're given. So they they bring his parents before them, and they're going to question them about their son. And want to know, was he really born blind? Is this really your son? Yes, it is. And they said, yes, that's our son, but you know what? That's what we're going to say. You know, you can talk to him. He's old enough. And they wanted to hightail it out there because they didn't want to be disciplined by the Pharisees. And they were afraid that they might be kicked out of the synagogue. So listen what it is. The reason for this invasiveness is found in John nine twenty two. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. I mean, there are many people who in their hearts believe and they know who Jesus is, but sadly, like these parents, are more concerned about losing their prominence and their family in society than they are being obedient to God. There's one other who's in here. It's a rather bold man. He's no longer blind, but he's the one who's in the center of all this controversy, and so obviously we've got to look at what he has to say. And in the middle of all this, we see this guy has has some extreme confidence in what's going on because he has never seen it and now he can and he knows it has to be a miracle of God because there's no other way anything could have described what has taken place. And so he begins to make some statements about Jesus while they're interrogating him. He basically says, well, Jesus, he's got to be a prophet. Listen to what he says in verse 17. He is a prophet. And in verse 25, he says, he's my healer. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know That though I was blind, now I see. One thing I know. I was blind. And now I see. He makes a statement about Jesus that he's got to be holy. Because he says there in verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. He understands that Jesus had to been a miracle worker because he says in verse 32, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. He's got to be from God. So he says that in verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He then went on to ask them some questions rather brazenly. He says, well, You guys want to be his disciple too? They don't want to do that because they're upset with Jesus. They don't want to be one of his followers. They don't be recognized as a disciple. But he does. He recognized that Jesus was just not a mere man. And he knew that he had to have come from God. And so he goes back. And then this divine revelation takes place. It's, wouldn't it be great to see with a new pair of eyes? To see things that you've never seen before. This man wasn't blinded by pride or legalism. He, He saw Jesus as a fresh understanding, but there were some consequences for his perception. He was no longer welcome in their synagogue, and they cast him out. And then Jesus heard about it. He heard about how they're treating him now. I mean, he'd seen how they treated blind men before, but now. So, the rest of this chapter, chapter 9, verses 35 to 41, it helps to see things with a fresh understanding. And John describes Jesus as, basically, he's, he's the Lord who seeks and restores In verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? I mean, isn't that interesting? As soon as Jesus heard that they had cast the guy out of the synagogue and they, they, whatever, he went and found him. He went looking for him because he wanted to have a private conversation with him. And this conversation is very revealing. Listen to what he has to say. Luke 19, verse 10. Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now think about that. How many people did Jesus seek out besides this blind man? He sought out Zacchaeus. Found him up in a tree, didn't he? There was the woman at the well that he sought out as well, to go, to go see her. And there were others that he went in search of because he was going to have a relationship with them. And the heart of Jesus seeks after and restores those who are broken, wearied, lost, rejected, outcasts of our world. But the Lord reveals himself to us and he strengthens our faith just as he did this man. Because in verse 35 through 37, listen what it says Jesus heard they he had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Not only does Jesus search him out and find the man, but he also reveals to this man his true identity, which he's been trying to keep secret. All through scriptures, God reveals himself in various ways, but the best way that he reveals us is through Jesus himself. And this man gets to see with his eyes the Son of God. And he understands it now that he has been healed by the Son of God. Jesus is always wanting us to go after people who have less fortunate physical or mental abilities than what most of the world has. In matter of fact, he tells a story about a guy who was throwing a big banquet. He invited all of his friends, and by the time it was time to have the banquet, he sent his servants out, and everybody had an excuse. Well, I just got married. I can't do that. I got some new oxen. I got to go plow my field. They've got they all the excuses in the world, why they can't come to his thing. So he says, okay, they're not coming. But I want you to go out into the highways and the byways, and you bring in the blind, the lame, the poor. And Christ was after those who are outcasts of our society. That's what his heart is. And he wants to reveal to them who he truly is. But John also lets us understand there's something unique about him, that this Lord, this Jesus, is worthy of our worship. And so look at how the man responds in verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And as soon as he realized who Jesus was, his immediate response was to worship. And Jesus is indeed worthy of all of our praise. Immediately, in our response to him, ought to be our worship for him, for what he has done each and every day of our lives. And the word of God teaches us that there are many ways in which we can worship. In John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship in spirit must worship in spirit and truth. In Ephesians five nineteen, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But he also discovers that he is the judge who has the ability to rid us even of our spiritual blindness. John 9.39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who... Those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. That's interesting. He's declaring that one of the reasons why he's come into this world was to bring judgment to those who don't have the ability to see and understand things, that he's going to give them the ability to do that. But to those who are haughty and arrogant and think they know it all and they see everything, He blinds their eyes and their understanding. While God is yet a loving God, it is vital that we understand that He is also just, and therefore He will judge those who do wrong. And the passage closes out here, verses 40 and 41. Some of the Pharisees near Him heard these things, and they said to Him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But... Now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So in this case, tradition and unbelief so had blinded the Jewish leaders that they were unable to recognize their own sinful state of nature and therefore failed to see who Jesus was and what he could have done for them. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 11, it says, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes see we don't have to be physically blind our spiritual blindness is worse Second Corinthians 4 3 and 4 says if even though our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing in the case of the God of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God But, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.16, when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. And we begin to see. Our disabilities are no longer disabilities. And we understand that man was blind not to receive his his physical sight, but his spiritual eyes were open so that he might discover truly who the Son of God was. And immediately he worshipped Him. We live in a world where people look down on those who have different forms of disabilities. And what Bethel Hills community is preparing to do is to open up a world to them where they are loved and they are cared for, and the world will share with them. It's amazing how God is providing for this. If God were not in this, do you think this kind of miraculous giving would have taken place? God definitely is behind this, and He is showing us through them his great love and his majesty and his power and his ability to change lives and he's using their disability as the ability to change ours I pray the Lord opens our eyes of understanding so that we'll be able to comprehend God in his fullness to know that what he has done for us even in our sinful nature he has cleansed us He has healed us. And that is a miracle in and of itself of what He has done for you and for me. Nobody else, nothing like that has ever been done before. Like healing a blind man. No one has ever healed a sinner and made him righteous again. But Jesus Christ. It was because of our disability of sin that that we aren't perfect. And we aren't righteous. It's because of our disability of a fallen nature that has created a need for us of salvation, for someone to come in and redeem us. And so God, in Christ Jesus, has reached down to us and has acknowledged our disability and made it possible for us to be made perfect, to be made holy, no matter what our condition is, no matter how deep we see our sin to be. And it's through His sacrifice in which He took our place on the cross of judgment and He enables us to go free and so now, we have the ability to walk in the light as He is in the light. And we see with eyes of grace that are enlightened in the world of darkness because we know the truth. We're going to take our time right now to have communion. So if you would get your, uh, your cup ready. And as we take a moment just to, to commune with Jesus by remembering that his body became disformed. His body became that of a disability because he was beaten beyond recognition. And what he had to undergo there in that torment of that last day as he was prepared to to die on a cross... Forevermore to be disabled. We think, how is Jesus disabled? I'll tell you how. Ask Thomas. Because he didn't believe either that Jesus was alive. And so Jesus says, look, look at my disability. See the holes in my hands? In my feet? Thomas, here, at my side. Put your hand there. And so he bears on his body the scars that we would say is a disability and yet through that became the ability to redeem us to save us Jesus identifies with all people all shapes all sizes all nationalities and all abilities his love for us. So as we take this bread, we'll remember his body that became deformed and disfigured for us. And if you would take the juice which He set aside to remind us of His blood that was shed for our redemption. No longer are we deformed by the disability of sin created anew in Christ Jesus. That is the greatest miracle of all. You pray with me. Father, we are thankful for Jesus. Oh, we are so thankful for what He endured on the cross. But Father, just beyond that, those moments in the lives of people that he encountered, like this man who was born blind, so that one day through his life, you would be glorified, you would be just, people would adore you for what has taken place in his life. While he was blind, and now he sees. Father, the same is true for us. We may not see what you have done for us because of the sinfulness that has veiled our ability to recognize. But we thank you for what Jesus has done by opening our eyes and allowing us to see you one day, face to face. It's in his name we pray. Amen.